shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Every single spring, that first day that I walk outside and I see that yellow dust all over my truck, I'm like, that is Satan's dandruff. It destroys me. I legitimately can't go outside for longer than three minutes because my eyes get swollen, my eyes get puffy, my nose gets congested, and I just simply can't breathe. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. When I started taking Claritin D about two months ago, I can finally get back outside and play pickleball again, which is what I love to do, but I couldn't do it because my allergies were so bad. Claritin D has legitimately allowed me to go outside again, ready to live life as if you don't have allergies it's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Back here in Nashville, Tennessee, fully and completely jet lagged. This is your host, Carlos Enrique with the Cabello. And I got one question. Y'all ready for this? Come on, come on. Hey. Yeah. What is good, Human Hope Familia? Welcome to episode 64 of the Human Hope Podcast. It is Thursday, June 23rd, 2022, and I am 24 hours back here in Nashville, Tennessee from the beautiful land of Uganda. Thank you guys so much for listening last week with my incredible co-host and your favorite co-host, Losaya. Um, isn't he just the best? He's just the best. Um, and ooh, today's episode, coming off last week's episode, it it all just makes sense. It's like a sweet little puzzle getting put back together. And you know, who knows? Who knows what I'm going to say today? Because I am jet lagged, and my arms feel like they weigh forty pounds each. I feel kind of like I'm in a spacesuit. Um, and. <laughs> I don't know if Annie F. Downs was trolling me, but she told me that the best way to get over jet lag, and I did it last night, and about seven minutes into this little experiment, I felt like a dummy, but she said, you got to walk outside, take, well, before you walk outside, take your shoes off and your socks off, walk into your front yard, barefoot, and it's called grounding. Like you ground yourself, your energy to the earth's magnet while it's spinning and you're floating through space or something. And somehow that's supposed to get you over the jet lag. So here I was in 94 degree evening weather in Nashville, Tennessee, standing barefoot in my front yard. And my neighbors are like, what's this guy doing? And I just stood there. And then I ended up having the worst night of sleep I've ever had after jet lag in my entire life. So I'm going to tell you right now, it don't work. I mean, maybe some of you guys, maybe it works for you. It didn't work for me. So I'm just going to go back to uh, my secret recipe for getting over jet lag and sleeping all night, which is either NyQuil or vodka. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so hopefully I'm going to sleep better tonight. And also let me go to my dogs. They, I don't know what's happened, but like they've reverted back. Like they're, they are now eight weeks old again and they don't sleep through the night. Like Hawk woke us up like three times last night. I don't know if he's bored. It was just a long night. Goodness gracious. But uh, I'm glad that you're back. And today I, I want to unpack a little bit. I, well, we're going to do two things. First of all, just to kind of hook you in. We're going to be talking about 
what I think is a very important conversation, especially when it comes to tourism in um, places like Africa or maybe where there's um, more visible poverty than where you live. Uh, we're going to be talking about like how to do that responsibly, how to do that ethically. I got some thoughts on that. Um, because there, and I'm all for great. I'm all, all for conversations, grace filled conversations, learning. I'm all for learning. Um, and I, I learned a lot over, um, just, just in answering a lot of questions that people had about, you know, I like last week I asked Lily, Hey, like people were saying that, and I, you know, it was just a small question, but people were saying, Oh, we shouldn't sponsor kids because it's making ourselves feel better. And she's like, are you kidding me? Look at my life. Like I am in a direct response to that, to someone sponsoring a kid, like my life was saved. So yes, like someone from like Lily who lives in Uganda and was raised in poverty sees the value of it. But I also don't want to cancel out people that may be feeling like, well, I don't know. This is like white saviorism. This is so to, in today's conversation, in the interview I have today, um, I've got a an expert, I can actually say an expert on this stuff. And um, lots of research has been done. And we, we start talking about that. So we talk about it today. And this has nothing to do with like compassion. This has everything to do with with people and and maybe their inner battle on like, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Is this, you know, and we break it down. So yeah, so, you know, some questions I was getting was like, um, Carlos, like, how do you, uh, how do you handle and how do you get past feeling like maybe this is colonialism happening again? You know, like you're bringing Christianity to a, to a country, Uganda, that Christianity wasn't the primary, um, religion there. And so like, like, and where that question comes from, where people ask that is because, you know, Christianity was used to oppress Africans uh, in whatever country in Africa, in that continent they were, right? They were, and, and Christianity was used to oppress slaves, right? The Bible was used for those things. So some people can't uh, reconcile the two. They can't reconcile helping um, people in need in countries in the continent of Africa with that being tied to Christianity because um, it's like they, they can't be mutually exclusive or wait, they, they need to be mutually exclusive, I guess is, is what they're saying. Um, so, so there, there's just been, I, I feel like this is a good conversation to have because as I unpack and I'm going to unpack for a second here, um, there's things that, you know, when I, when I went to Uganda and I've been numerous times to Uganda now, I've never been to the North to Gulu. So that was first, but there's always things whenever I go, I go on a trip like this, that I, I come back to America and I'm just like, Ooh, gross America. Like, can we do this? Like the Ugandans do, can we be more like them? Now, what I don't want to do is romanticize the poverty and the struggles and the hardships that, I see happening over there, right? That there's true hardships that, you know, people don't have here in America, like to the degree they have there. And so that's why people come here. People immigrate here so that they have an opportunity to um, get out of poverty, right? So like, I know that there's here in America, in my country, there's opportunities to do that, that there aren't there, but that doesn't mean that we can't learn, right? And also, you know, um, so yeah, so I don't want to like romanticize it, but I do want to be blatant when I say, man, like we are, we, we love to complain around these parts. Like, <laughs> I mean, we, um, Americans are so offended, like, like we're so easily offended. And that's one thing I asked a couple of the locals there especially when I was up North is just the spirit of offense. And, and is it there? And it's just not, not near as bad as it is here. Um, and that's something that I think, man, I want to be less offended. Right. Um, also, you know, every relationship's complicated. Um, 
And I just, I noticed that there was less complication. Um, and, and again, this is just in the small data pool that I have conversations I had with locals there, but um, it was just less complicated. There was less complicated relationships with the church there. Not saying that there's not complicated relationships with the church there, but um, in the conversations I was having with people, it just, you know, the, the, the church is, is more of a central place where it's like seven days a week. They're helping the community as opposed to kind of one day a week of like a sermon or whatever. It's just, it's just more embedded into the community there. Um, which I think, you know, churches try to do that here. There's just more resources for people to get things without having to lean on the church in America and the church there, especially in some of these villages, it is the, um, it's the bedrock. It's, it's where people go to for business training, for medical clinics, for education, for all the things. So, so yeah, I think that there's maybe a smoother relationship there. Um, I was unpacking that a little bit. I, I, I don't necessarily know what that means. I don't think that there's a learning to that um, because, I mean, trauma is trauma. So if someone's traumatized here because of maybe the advancement of religion in America, um, then, then they're traumatized. Like, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, if someone's wounded, they're wounded. Um, so I'm not, I don't think there's necessarily a learning there. I think that's, that's more of just a, um, something that I noticed. Um, but I'll tell you just the, 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 I, I, especially open opening Twitter back up, how offended we are. People are so offended here. And of course there's reason to be offended, but we, we just can't constantly live in a constant state of being offended. It's like this. It's like America does have a spirit of offense to it right now. I, I mean, I think that even people, I think everyone would agree with that. I mean, I don't think that's a, it's not like a shock jock statement, right? We, we just are. Um, and I love that, that, that wasn't the case there. Even, even when Ugandans would have an opportunity to be offended, like I was offended by loud Americans at some of the hotels we were at <laughs> saying things I'd be offended. They wouldn't be. Now, you know, traveling up north to Gulu and knowing the history of the LRA and Coney and the atrocious, I mean, gut-wrenching truth of what happened up there, um, eight-year-olds murdering for, uh, for an army that they were kidnapped into. Like, like I, I mean, if you're 20 to 25 years old and older, in Northern Uganda, you have seen things that most Americans will never have seen. So I know that, especially in the North, <laughs> um, they're not as easily offended because they have seen true oppression, right? And right, like, am I wishing that to happen in order to get us to that point here in America? Of course not. No, so like, that's not... That, that's what I'm saying when I'm, when I'm like, I don't want to romanticize the situation, but I think it is okay to be like, wow, I mean, how can we get more of that without having to suffer as they did? We can learn, you know, you, you can learn from somebody that has been through something harder than you without having to go through it, right? Not everybody has to go through trauma in order to become better, Um. These are just things I'm thinking about. Is it? Is it? Is this okay? I hope this is okay. These are things I'm thinking about because I think they're important things. Um, so some some of the more like lighthearted things. Can we? Can we just appreciate how soft spoken many Ugandans are? Like they are just so kind and soft spoken. It seems like nothing riles them. Like more of that. Can I bring more of that here? Oh, I, can we normalize? Hanging out with our friends underneath mango trees. Okay, I don't, I, Heather tells me that we can't grow mangoes here in Nashville because it gets too cold. But finding trees and just sitting under it with your friends as we were driving up and down the roads all over the country of Uganda, 
there was just a lot of that happening and more of that. Huh? How about more of that? Well, something else that I'm unpacking is, excuse me, <laughs> that was gross. Um, I'm going to leave it in here because this is real, right? Something else I, I was uh, unpacking is just the, the focus and the desire to be surrounded by family. You know, the way that they're kind of homesteads in their villages are set up. It's like, it's like they've got like grandma, the elders have a, have a little, have a, um, a home. And then, um, next door to that is like the kitchen little house. And then next to that is the living room little house. And then the, the one, the children get a little house. And then when I say a house, more like a, like a hut, um, that's probably the wrong word. So, um, but you know what I'm saying with the thatch roof. And then the parents have, um, the, 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 the parents have one. So, you know, it's, it's just, um, I love that that is a high priority is to be surrounded by family. They love it. They desire to be surrounded by family in ways that we've, we've lost here. And so as, as you guys travel, you know, I, I always try to take back, um, bring back to my life, some things that I found good in others. And I think, I think you guys, you know, can do that too. Um, and again, I, I think something else that, that I, I've always known, but I think I stated it more on this trip is, uh, and this is going to maybe lean into a little bit more of the conversation we're going to have is that like, we don't, as Americans, we, we feel like we can be the saviors of the world. We feel like we can go and rescue and man, <laughs> if there, if there's, if there's 10 people that need to be rescued from something by Americans in Uganda, there are 10 people in America that need to be rescued uh, by Ugandans, right? Like, like th there are, there are some wise, um, there are some brilliant, there are so many um, Ugandans solving problems that Americans sometimes feel like we, we know. And so we go in there like, this is what we're going to do. But I mean, I guess the question is, is like, are, when we go there, are we asking the locals questions? You know, this is something that I hung out with uh, some new friends that owned a, a cafe called the Elefante Cafe in Gulu. And there's some Americans there that, that are, you know, providing jobs to locals and as many as they can. I just was asking them, what's the difference between like a good NGO that shows up? Cause like Gulu's like the NGO capital of uh, Uganda or a bad one. Right. And they're like, well, you know, if they come in and they're looking at like, Oh, look at these poor Northern Ugandans, like, like already like, eh, right. No, what do you mean? Poor Northern Ugandans? Like these are brilliant, capable, incredible human beings. So like, if you go in looking down, like, Oh, these poor people, you're going to miss it. And, and you've missed it because they're not, they're very capable. Not only are they capable, they probably have better ideas than you do for helping them solve whatever issues you think you need to help them solve. Why? Well, because they're from there. So you got to ask them questions. So, so I guess, you know, I'm just, I'm just saying that, um, we've, we have to approach any, any sort of, uh, travel or, or, you know, if you're going to help by really thinking through what, um, how can, how can we go there and serve without thinking like we have the answers? You know, I said something actually that offended some people on my Instagram and, and I get it. I can understand how it could sound offensive. Okay. So remember, like we're going to have some, a little bit of a hard conversation today when the interview comes on, maybe you're going to hear some things that make you uncomfortable. This may make you uncomfortable. Remember, you don't have to agree with everything I say to be a proud member of the human hope family, right? Are you going to disagree with a lot of what I say? Hopefully, hopefully you're never going to disagree or agree with everything I have to say, or else like, what's the point of relationship? Um, but I said this when I was talking about how uh, the churches that were being built, I said, uh, I can't remember what I said exactly, but it was, it was akin to, and it was in a story. And I said it kind of like in passing, like there's no white people building these churches 
And I like it that way. And when I said that, I, I could see how it could have been taken um, maybe out of context a little bit uh, because I didn't like unpack it. I did in my DMs for some people that were offended, but uh, I didn't unpack it in public. So let me unpack it. When, when, when I say that, um, it's because like, like white people building, um, doing jobs for local Ugandans takes away jobs from local Ugandans, right? So like, we, we don't want to see, we don't want to see like a team of white people going in like building, this is me, this is me. Okay. This again, this could be very controversial, but in my heart, I'm like, no, like let's not get like a hundred white Americans to come over and do labor for three weeks, building things that makes, you know, sure. Maybe we'll end up building something that uh, can help. Even if you build something that can help them be at a medical clinic or a church or whatever, but instead, why don't we hire local Ugandans to build the things, even engineer the things, even plan the things, right? So what we're doing is we're pouring back into their, the ecosystem of, of everything that they do. So again, I can see how people may have taken that out of context where they're like, well, what you saying, Carlos? Like, like mostly white people are the ones that donated to these churches. Like, so what you saying? White people aren't good. No, 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 no. Everyone take a deep breath. But what I'm saying is that as much as we can, we need to be pouring back into however it is that we can pouring back into the locals there, allowing them to do the work, asking them what they think about how to do things. So, yeah, you know, I hope that we're all wrestling with things like this constantly. I hope that we're never just um, going on a mission trip to like, you know, feel better about ourselves because we've helped somebody. No, you know, um, learn, take, take back as much as you, as you give. I'm not saying it's bad to give, give. That's what we did. We built seven freaking churches. That's amazing. Um, I told you this was going to be messy. This is me talking out loud, right? So, so I guess all of this leads into a very powerful conversation. Um, the conversation that I'm having really has to do with, um, with, with what the problem people have with Christians going to countries in Africa or maybe other countries um, that they may feel like, well, Christianity, you're, you're pushing Christianity on them as much and, and you shouldn't be pushing Christianity on them. Um, you should just be serving them without the Christian part, right? Because Europeans went over there and they, um, you know, they, they colonized, they, they colonized and they used Christianity to oppress. And so a lot of people, um, have a hard time with that. Also there, there's a lot of people that are like, you know, Christianity is like a white person's religion, right? Like the, it was brought to Africa by Portuguese European missionaries and although the missionaries may not have been bringing it there to oppress, it was used to oppress. And it's not even a, uh, an African religion. There's a, there's a lot of that um, in the conversations. And, and then the whole white savior issue of it all. So since it's so complicated yet nuanced, I thought I would bring in <laughs> one of my new favorite people. Um, while I was there, and I'm having these conversations on my DMs with a few of you, which are awesome conversations, by the way. Uh, I was led to a film called um, Unspoken. And it's, it's, it's just called the Unspoken Documentary. And the Unspoken Documentary, let me, let me read you um, um, the, the premise here, okay? It says, this is great. And I, I bought the movie and I ended up watching it. This is a movie that gives you an in-depth look into the Christian heritage of Africa and people of African descent intended to dispel the notion of Christianity being an exclusively white man's religion. So I read that and I was like, man, this is amazing. Um, I wonder who made it. And I, I started looking at who made it and who was in it. And oh my goodness, some of the leading theologians um, black theologians of our time um, poured their blood, sweat, and tears into this. 
um, the uh, the filmmaker, the producers. There are some top notch humans doing this, uh, putting this documentary together. So then I looked at kind of who was leading the charge, and her name is Lisa Fields, and Lisa is one of the world's most sought after apologists, right? Christian apologists. And, um, but, but she's, she's not, you know, you think of an apologist for me and I think of someone that is so heady, um, not down to earth, not human, not authentic. That is the opposite of who she is. She is so authentic. She's so down to earth. And I hit her up (laughs) on Instagram, which is what I do. And I was like, can you please come on the podcast? And can you please, please with everything, help me dispel the notion that we shouldn't be going to Africa and building churches because it's colonization just happening over again. So she helps us not only she, but with a bunch of great experts in her movie helps us do that. And this conversation friends at the end of me unpacking my trip is it's going to be, it's so educational and it is, it's so um, moving, but it, it's going to give you what, at least for me, it gave me watching the film and then my conversations with her, it gave me handlebars. It gave me things that I can hang on to when I enter into conversations with people um, that I didn't know before. And this is just so helpful. So again, I, I just appreciate all of you guys taking these conversations for what they are, uh, whether you agree with them, whether you don't agree with them, hopefully they educate you uh, at, as to a point of view. And this happens to be a very um, well thought out point of view that I think is going to be helpful for a lot of people that may have been struggling with. I don't know, like, I don't know. Can, can I go to Africa and help people, um, you know, that are maybe in more poverty than me is, does that mean I'm trying to be a white savior? Um, you know, is it okay to sponsor a kid? Is that colonialism? If we're teaching them about Jesus, but Jesus, you know, Christianity isn't really um, supposed to be in Africa. Like all those questions um, today, we're going after them. (laughs) I'm so grateful. So sit back, grab, trust me, grab your notebook, grab yourself a pen, um, unless you're driving and take some notes because today is going to be very impactful. Friends, right after this mid-roll partner conversation. We're going to have the conversation with Lisa. So let's uh, jump into two quick partners here on the Human Podcast. And then we're going to head into what I believe is going to be a perspective shifting conversation with our new friend, Lisa Fields. Listen, Human Hope listeners, for most of us, learning a second language in high school or college, it wasn't really the high point, at least for me in my academic career. I took Spanish. My parents spoke Spanish and I still got to see. Now, but listen, thanks to Babbel, the language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions, there's an addictively fun and easy way to learn a new language. Whether you're going to be traveling abroad, connecting in a deeper way with family, or you just have some free time, Babbel teaches bite-sized language lessons that you'll actually use in the real world. Now listen, I chose Russian. Can I tell you why? Because there is a mechanic that I take my truck to that he's from Russia, and I want to surprise him with a really simple conversation. So how I'm doing it is in Babbel's 15 minute lessons, they make the perfect way to learn a new language on the go. Plus Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you improve your pronunciation and accent. There's so many ways to learn with Babbel. In addition to lessons, you can access podcast games, videos, stories, and even live classes. This is what I want you to do. Go to Babbel.com and use the code human hope. That is B-A-B-B-E-L.com. Use the code human hope and you'll get an additional three months for free babble language for life next up our partner better help y'all know i love me some better help there is not a better more fitting partner for this show because i am such a believer in therapy i know that life can be overwhelming and lots of people are burned out without even knowing it that was me okay i had all the symptoms which was like lack of motivation irritability fatigue and so many more so many times we associate burnout with work but it's actually not the only cause any of 
our roles in life can lead to us burning out. So BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to prioritize your help. Talking with somebody can help you figure out what's causing stress in your life. And my burnout was caused by me focusing too much on others. Go figure. So my therapist at BetterHelp has helped me and I want you to find somebody that can help you as well. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash human hope. That is B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash human hope. Okay, Human Hope listeners, I am on right now with Lisa Fields. I'm going to call her my new friend, even though she doesn't even know she's my friend yet. Um, (laughs) But everything that I have uh, read about you, Lisa, everything that I know about your work and what you're doing, um, I I consider you an ally in in what what I try to do as well. And um, so first of all, welcome to the podcast. I'm grateful that you're here. Thank you for having me, Carlos. It's a pleasure to meet you. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, Lisa, let, let's first start before we before I start um, throwing some maybe more difficult questions your way that I'm getting asked. <laughs> and so, like I'm always like, whenever someone asks me a difficult question, I like to find people that are way smarter than me uh, to answer those questions. And so, before I throw that your way, I'd love for you to um, you're the founder of uh, the Jude Three Project, and I'd love to maybe mm-hmm. ask you a little bit about that and about you know your heartbeat and how it is you got doing what you're doing yeah so the g3 project is a christian apologetics organization specifically focusing on helping black christians know what they believe and why and we also do some work around engaging skeptics and the questions apologetic questions that skeptics may have and i don't want to take for granted that people may not know what apologetics is because for a long time my grandma said thought i said i'm sorry for jesus for a living so apologetics (laughs) comes from the greek word Apologia, <laughs> which <laughs> comes from First Peter three fifteen, when Peter says we ought to be able to be, give a defense for the hope that we have. That word defense in the Greek is apologia, which is where we get apologetics. And so um, that's a little bit about what Jude three project is about. We do that through conferences, through uh, multimedia podcasts, all the things, courses. Um, how I got started in that, uh, I'm a PK. And I never okay. anticipated I'd be here. I wanted to be a stockbroker work, working on Wall Street. Not because my parents oh, were bad parents. Wow. <laughs> they they were great parents, but church is all consuming. Like after church, you're there for another two hours as yeah. the pastor's kid. Just I was like, get me out of here. Um, I was like, the last thing I'm going to yeah. do is do ministry. Um, and I, th- <laughs> funny enough... <laughs> <laughs> ended up here um but uh, i decided to take a new testament class in um in undergrad at university of north florida okay and nobody told me new testament at a university was different than new testament in sunday school and so oh, it wasn't yes, a christian I'm school sure. so uh first day of class our professor said i'm gonna change everything you thought you knew about jesus I was like, I don't think this is what I signed up for. I was supposed to get an easy A. (laughs) The class really challenged me. And I really was, my faith was shaken. And I didn't know whether I should stay a Christian. Should I trust the Bible? All these things. My dad introduced me to apologetics and I fell in love with it. It helped me navigate that class. But then I, every, every person I looked to leading were usually old white men. And I was like, we need to see ourselves represented in this space. And that's kind of how the vision was birthed. T- tell me this. Um, wh- when your professor in your New Testament class says, I'm about to challenge and shake everything you ever knew about Jesus. Um, you know, you, you talk about how your your faith was actually shaken, you know, and that you had mm-hmm. to you had to dig in a little bit, you know, with that. For, for my listeners that are, I, I would say that there's a lot of my listeners that maybe at one point in their life or even still, um, lean towards Christianity or claim themselves as a Christian, but the last two or three years in America has shook their faith to the core because they're like, wait a second, everything I'm seeing about Christianity that I'm seeing displayed on all the news stations 
is not a representation of of what what I believe. How how mm-hmm. how did you and how are you still able to reconcile um, calling yourself a Christian yet what a lot of people may call a Christian when they are watching whatever news station? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think one thing we need to do is investigate what Christianity actually is versus what we've been taught it mm-hmm. is. And I believe that cultural Christianity in America is a counterfeit version of where authentic biblical Christianity is. And because we're so accustomed to the counterfeit, we have not really connected to what's authentic. And so I think that for me, when I was in that that class, one of the things I did was I was like, somebody told me to drop the class. I was like, if I drop this class, I will be running from my questions for the rest of my life. I think you have to lean into the questions, lean into what scares you, because any good relationship is built off asking the other person questions and getting to know them and digging deeper and having uncomfortable conversations. That's how you build a great relationship with a human being. And that's also how you build a great relationship with God. Asking him questions about himself, getting to know him apart from what you've been told about uh, about him. You know, it's frustrating to come into a relationship with a person already has heard a lot about you and they put stuff on you and you're like, that's not me or that was the old me or they they were responding. They they were projecting onto me their own trauma. So the things they were saying about me aren't really true. And so you're like, okay, um, learn who I am. And God is saying to, I believe people, he's like, I know you've heard some things about me from culture. I know you heard some things about me from parents, but I want you to silence those voices and get to know me. Unreal. I mean, that, that we could stop the podcast right there. And I, th- I think that's going to fix me in a lot of ways. No, that is, that is so good. So you talk about, you know, um, having and, and testing and asking God hard questions and digging in. Um, that's one thing that, that I, try to tell people all the time that God is not scared of your difficult questions. God is not mm-hmm. scared of your, you know, uh, of, of, of the maybe righteous anger that is rising up inside of you because of what you see painted as cultural Christianity in America today. Um, and so, mm-hmm. you know, today, um, I, I am answering some of those more difficult questions or, I'm, or should I say I'm going to ask Lisa some of those more uh, difficult questions. And, you know, and and knowing that that you um, practiced apologetics and you've studied apologetics and uh, you are um, in this field, some of the questions I may be asking, I mean, it, it's totally fine if you're like that. This is not something that I've studied, but maybe this is something that um, this is this is a way that you can view it. So. As we talked about before the uh, interview began, I just came back from a trip uh, to Uganda. And um, I went uh, to Uganda and because I raised, you know, a lot of money on my Instagram platform uh, to go over there and build build churches. Now, I have a lot of people that follow me that listen to the podcast that have a very complicated relationship with the church. They have a very complicated mm-hmm. relationship with um, uh, Christianity, with their maybe maybe... I, I I wouldn't even like to say maybe the church, but maybe their church or their pastors or things that have happened to them. And so I, I'm pretty careful when I bring something wrapped in Christianity to my audience, because I know a lot of my audience aren't Christians, uh, but mm-hmm. they trust me because they followed me for a long time and they, they trust me. So when I said, let's raise money to build these churches, um, I made sure that they knew that these churches we were building were not just churches on Sunday, but they were women's empowerment programs. They were running things. They were training local women in the villages to start their own businesses and to mm-hmm. you know be able to afford school fees so that they can educate their children and their children can have better lives, all those things. So um, I think the, the overall scope of my audience really felt comfortable with this project. Now, when you when I got there, and I think people's eyes were placed on, you know, there was a lot of poverty. Um, uh, sometimes I think we can romanticize poverty. Sometimes I think mm-hmm. that we can, you know, look at Africa and a lot of people can look at Africa from America and be like, oh, we're going to go there and rescue them. We're going to go there. And mm-hmm. so there began to be some some rub and there began to be some some harder conversations that I was having with some people in my DMs about, well, Carlos, like if you really think about it, um, Christianity in all of Africa was just brought there 
um, by missionaries from Europe that uh, the whole purpose was to oppress uh, black people in Africa so that they can um, lord over them and use Christianity basically as a power tool of oppression in Africa. So when when I hear those things, um, I can see 100% why somebody would think that. Uh, <clears throat> it, 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 really, it really can look that way. But then when I started to study that and I started to think, well, let me see if this is true. I came mm-hmm. across your documentary, which is called <laughs> Unspoken. And um, literally, if you go to the Unspoken movie website, um, like the, the indie about section, it literally says an in-depth look into the Christian heritage of Africa and people of African descent intended to dispel the notion of Christianity being an exclusively white man's religion. That's all it took for me to be like, buy it $12.95 or whatever I paid for the Vimeo link. <laughs> I'm watching this thing. So I watched it and then I was like, I have to have you on the podcast. So I guess I'm just going to kind of uh, um, open up the, um, the, the conversation in a very wide way for me to say, you know, um, as we have this conversation, Lisa, and as I look at some of the DMs that I've gotten, you know, I'll just read one of them to you and I'll just kind of ha- have you lean into this. Uh, Someone said, um, how do you separate the spread of Christianity with colonialism? Let's just start there. Yeah. So (laughs) great question. I think that is um, something that many people, especially on the content struggle, continent struggle with. And, you know, it looks different in the U.S. a little bit through uh, because you you bring in slavery. Um, But I think one of the things is like what I said earlier we have to investigate what true Christianity is that's not tethered Mm. to capitalism and greed and be able to call what uh, colonialism did and how they tried to use Christianity a a counterfeit, you know? Mm. And sometimes we're not comfortable just saying it's not authentic Christianity. Like it's a counterfeit. And when you spend a lot of time with the truth, you get you're able to um, distinguish authentic from counterfeit. I always think about a Department of Treasury and how they train people to, to detect counterfeit money. Mm. When they train people to detect counterfeit money, they don't give them fraudulent bills first. They wow. hand them an authentic bill, touch this, smell this, spend time with it, hours and hours. And then they're able to detect the counterfeit. They slip a counterfeit in there and they're able to detect the counterfeit immediately because they spent so much time with the authentic. The problem with people is they've spent so much time with the counterfeit that the authentic Christianity looks foreign to them. Wow. Wow. That that is so good. Yeah. And so I think one of the ways that we distinguish it is to dig into what biblical Christianity is and be confident and willing to call colonialism a counterfeit and what colonialism did in Christianity. Yeah. So, so for, for those uh, people that are listening right now that are like, okay, Carlos, this is, um, this is good, but maybe I don't understand what colonialism is. People are using some big fancy words. What, what someone asked you that question in your DMS, what in the world does that even mean? I, I don't even understand why people would have a problem with this. So maybe, maybe take us into what colonialism is and, 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 and what that looked like in, um, in Africa. So, uh, white, Europeans coming into African spaces to take over, to take their resources and to use Christianity as a tool to do it Mm. Uh, and say, we're bringing this to you to save you, (laughs) but we're going to strip you of all your resources. Yeah. And so it looks like we're giving you something to benefit you, but we're actually trying to benefit ourselves and using Christianity as a tool to do that. And so that's why people have such a rejection. I mean, that's not in totality, uh, I think, colonialism, but I think that's where the people have the crux of the problem. You took our resources, gave us a Bible (laughs) and told us to convert and that everything we did was and demonized everything about our culture, everything about our faith. 
and said, hey, take this faith, throw all your culture, take our names, um, throw your names away. They're evil. Everything that we do is good. Everything that y'all do is evil. Dehumanize a culture, dehumanize a people group. And and we can't forget how they strip resources. Mm -hmm. And so they make it seem like, hey, y'all need saving. We're here to save. Um, and, And that really has created this tension with people with Christianity. That makes sense. No, that that does make sense. And so when you're looking at, you know, at what happened, I would say, okay, well, Lisa, what you just said absolutely is counterfeit, right? That is absolutely Mm -hmm. a counterfeit version of what true Christianity is. Um, So I would say to the people that have been DMing me saying, Carlos, like, like colonialism was horrible. Like, how can you continue to contribute to colonialism? Um, Well, I I guess I would say, well, what I, I don't believe that that Christianity is synonymous with colonialism. I, I, I don't think that um, colonialism equals Christianity. I think that's where you were talking about the looking at the counterfeit bills. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, what, what we saw when Europeans came to, um, to Africa, that was a counterfeit version of what true Christianity is because, and I learned this in your documentary, Unspoken, um, th- they're actually Christianity if you go through scripture and you look at the Bible, it there is way more of the origin of Christianity in Africa than even any semblance of it in Europe. I mean, wh- where it sprouted, where it was born was actually with African people, with black people. Talk to us a little bit about um, the non-counterfeit version of, of biblical Christianity and the African continent. Yeah. And so it's funny because... Uh, <laughs> People think like Christianity only Africans only got Christianity through colonialism or slavery. Right. And that could exactly not be far from the truth. If we go to the first Gentile convert that's documented, the first documented baptized is the Ethiopian eunuch, an African. Yes. And so it's like, how can we say it was given in white supremacy when we look at the text and we see that the Ethiopian eunuch is converted. Um, And so I think thinking about that, but also thinking about every nation, tribe and tongue at the, um, all the nations represented, African nations listed, even at Pentecost. Mm. When you think about the different nations that were represented at Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit fell on all of these different people. And so it's like, if you look at the Bible, that's, that takes away that theory there. And you also think about the fact that if if the Bible was so problematic um, and liberating, why would slave owners um, take part of the Bible out? So there's the slave mm-hmm. Bible. And so what I love to tell people is like, if you think about the slave Bible, they took out all the liberating passages from the Bible because the Bible is a liberating book that that shows the full dignity of every person, no matter what race or tribe they're from. And so the Bible, um, if you read it from Genesis to Revelation, is a liberating book for yes. all people. But they knew that it was liberating. So they cut a lot of portions out. Almost the entire book of Exodus is taken out because it's about God freeing his people from slavery. Oh, yeah. They took Absolutely. it out. <laughs> and they gave... Um, people a very limited version of scripture and say, hey, read this because they knew the truth in totality would liberate, but truth in part oppressed. And so I always tell people one of the ways to fight right supremacy is to read scripture from Genesis to Revelation because they never wanted you to read it to begin with. If you throw it away, you're actually doing what they wanted you to do in the first place. That is so good. You know, it, it is so true, you know, especially when you're looking at, because um, I think in, there's in two respects, people are looking at colonialism in Africa and then, oh my gosh, well, you know, slavery in America, like they, they were using, you know, again, you the slave Bible. I mean, that, that is that is something that you can, you know, look up. I, I actually went to the uh, African American Museum uh, in Washington, D.C., a couple of weeks ago and um, they had versions of that Bible, you know, there where they did, they literally slave owners took the parts out. And I would say that even in 
you know, this is something that even in 2022, um, mm-hmm. there is a, it, it may be an invisible slave Bible, but there is a version of Christianity that, that I would say white supremacists would love for people to understand and think that this is the version of Christianity that, you know, that needs to be there. And so you're saying to, re- to, to read from Genesis to Revelation to, to cover the entire spectrum of what scripture is, because in that we're going to see the totality of what it really is. Yeah. And yeah, in addition to to how we dispel this this myth and, and you mentioned it, the documentary, we highlight the early church fathers. The word Trinity comes from Tertullian, an African. So wow. even the Christian doctrines that we hold dear are African in nature. Yeah. Tom Oden wrote a book years ago, How Africa Shaped the Christian Mind, that our orthodox beliefs are rooted in African church fathers and so you don't get the doctrinal beliefs that many white evangelicals hold without going through african first <laughs> it's well when you, you say african church fathers people people are thinking like wait a second well uh, i thought the church fathers you know were and you can start naming martin luther you can start naming a lot of these um most of the church fathers. Well, i wouldn't say most of the church fathers i would say if I were to go to seminary and take a class on the church fathers, they're all white. So you're mm-hmm. telling me that there are church fathers there. You're telling me that there's church fathers that, um, that are, that are black. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah. So Martin Luther is taking cues from African church fathers. Um, David, da- wow. Dr. David Daniels, who's a church historian at McCormick theological seminary says that before Luther, um, put the 95, uh, the thesis on the, on, um, camp, uh, the, the name escapes me right now. Uh, it shouldn't. Um, sure. But, <laughs> but before okay. he did that, he he went to Ethiopia. And he saw how wow. the Ethiopian churches were were running. And he suggests um, he's not 100 percent positive, but he suggests that Martin Luther is influenced by Ethiopian deacon. Wow. Um, and that is what helps inspire the Reformation. Because remember, the Reformation is Europe. Africa already had a church separate from, from uh, Roman, the Roman Pope. Yeah. Yeah, the Catholic and Church. And so, um, you know, it's just Im- important for us to look and look at history to see the impact of Africa on Europeans that... Um, Christianity was deeply rooted in Africa before it was even recognized nat- uh, nationally on the on a major scale in Europe. Um, and Europeans were persecuting Africans uh, for the Christian faith. Wow. Now, yeah, people don't know this, you know, and I think it's this is so important for people to know. I mean, it really it just it does dispel the fact that, you know, Christianity in Africa came from, you know, just, just, you know, white missionaries or people that are coming to oppress, um, you know, and you talked about the Ethiopian church, uh, and you talked about how that it, it was a, um, its own individual autonomous church separate from the Catholic church the Roman Catholic church. And that was thriving. You know, the, the Egyptian Coptic church was thriving separate from the, the Catholic church. And that was all thriving. It was coming in Africa. One of the things that I learned in the unspoken movie that I loved, uh, was that, um, I, I guess I'm maybe, I'm, I, can, I may be getting the, uh, the dates wrong, but maybe like, um, 1400s, um, some of the Kings in like Congo and a couple mm-hmm. of the other places were, were sending. King the, yes. King Uzana were, were sending some of their young men to Europe to f- to study Christianity to find out is this what we want to build our nation on it was and so they volunteer well like voluntarily entered into Christianity as opposed to through, through uh you know a whip of somebody of a, of a white man yeah the king of congo uh, who dr david daniels talks about in the um documentary um i can't remember his name off the top i know izana was another one but the one specifically you're talking about who sent his men off um, he had he had choices. He he said, I want to know what the the uh, Muslim faith, faith teaches. I want to know what Christianity teaches. And he already had his own indigenous religion and he knew his indigenous religion. He investigated Islam and investigated Christianity and chose Christianity and embraced it freely. 
Wow. And this is a king and he's not <laughs> under oppression. Right. Um, or anything. And even going back to what you said about Ethiopia, Ethiopia is has never been colonized and it's been a Christian nation for almost its entirety. Wow. And so it's never had white supremacists pushing Christianity down its throat. Wow. It's been a Christian nation be- longer than Europe. And huh. so yeah. I think it's important for people to to know that. That is so good. This is this is very helpful. This is so helpful. Um, you know, now now I'd love to lean into just for a few minutes, um, maybe some of your thoughts on you know, and, and these these aren't thoughts that I prepped you on or asked you questions on. And if you want me to cut these out of the podcast, it's totally fine too. <laughs> but but um, you know, when it comes to, and this is really going to be strictly probably just based on opinion, but um, I would say there there is validity to. Um, people concerned that white people going to Africa um, to um, help, quote unquote, could promote some semblance of white saviorism and some semblance of, of oh, they're, they're just doing this to make themselves feel better. Um, how, how would you say, because I, I would actually say that that's not, that's not purely like, like white people going to third world country problem. I, I would say that that, that can be found in America that could be found in, you know, people that, that maybe want to be an ally for the black community because, Oh, well, I, I want to help the black community because I feel like I'm a white guy and I can help them, you know, a little bit better. Talk to us a little bit about how we can be careful as we stand for justice. And I say, we, um, you know, my father is a Afro Latino, black Panamanian from Cologne, Panama. My mom is a, you know, white woman from Mexico. So, you know, he, here I stand in that, but most of my listeners are going to be, you know, white people here in America. How can, I think they just want to make sure that they're not perpetuating the white saviorism. They're not perpetuating, um, as they're fighting for justice, um, elevating themselves over another race, over another people group. How can they just be careful with that? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. No, that's a great question. I think one of the things before you seek to go help is to make sure in your community, when it comes to, if you're from the major, majority culture, make sure that the you're only, make sure that not, that the only interaction you have with minorities is not that you're helping. Yes. Have people in your circle that are minorities that have your they are in your same tax bracket or even in a higher tax bracket. Because what happens subliminally is that you're, if your only interaction is you helping, you begin to have a superiority con- complex. Un- maybe not even knowing that yeah. I have to help these people without realizing there are people in that uh, in that race that have more than you or have the same status as you. And so I think that's one thing. Also, number two, if I always say I'm in Jacksonville, Florida. And so okay. uh, Jacksonville, Florida is by beaches. And so a lot of uh, white people stay at, in the beach, but then they have some girl, thriving churches at the beach. And okay. uh, they always like to do missionary work overseas, uh-huh. but they don't, they won't cross the bridge to go wow. to the inner cities. So I say, if you won't cross the bridge, don't cross the ocean. Oh, let's go. And uh, so if you aren't willing to interact in the hard places in your own community and pour resources in your own community, why do you feel such this burden to go across the ocean and do it? Yeah. Like, let it be an outpouring of something that you do in your own community. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's more glamorous to say you went across the ocean than to say you went across the bridge yeah and is it really is it are you looking for instagram are you looking to take a picture with somebody to show like i'm doing this to make yourself feel better but if you clutch your purse when you see a a black man in the elevator but you want to go save black orphans over the ocean then that's something's wrong Mm, yes and so I think investigate ourselves. And and also, if you're going to do these missionary works in these countries, are you working with people, indigenous people on the ground who already are doing work? Are you supporting their efforts? Are you trying to say, I'm the only person God is using without realizing God has been doing work in that community before you even got there? Before you even got there. And apparently before your religion even got to you. You know, so like, like, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, these are things that I'm learning. This is so, you know, so good. Um, uh, you know, speaking of, um, 
of, of again, trying to um, ask these hard questions. You know, I would go ahead and say, even right now, speaking to you, those people, you know, 750 people sponsored children, you know, through through compassion when I was out there. It's a great question to ask yourself. You know, this doesn't have to be like a like a shame filled, guilt filled conversation. It, it can be something that's like, oh, OK, wait a second. I, I love what Lisa just said. I sponsored a kid last week, you know, when Carlos went to Uganda. What can I do this week? It, it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be complicated, right? Like this doesn't yeah. have to be like this. You, you don't have to take a course. You don't have to figure these things out. This can be like quick, simple decisions you make on a daily basis. Tell us a little bit, uh, just just a little bit about maybe where people can uh, listen to this or watch the movie. Um, you know, are there resources that 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 people can download when it, when it comes to the movie, where they can share about the movie? Yeah, so uh, the great thing about the movie, we knew it was like drinking from a fire hydrant. Oh my gosh, um, so much. And so we created a small group curriculum to go with it. And so you could you could have more insight if we touch something like um, the, the four hubs of Christianity. It gives you more insight into those. So it kind of helps you go deeper, but it's also written on a sixth, seventh grade level. So it's not, you don't have to be a seminary student to catch it. That, um, I, that, that's for me, everybody, just says, so you know, they, they wrote it for me. That's good. <laughs> and so the curriculum and all of those, the links will be there um, at unspokenmovie.com. And also the curriculum will be available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. You could just type in unspoken documentary or get the link on the website. And then the movie is also on there, unspokenmovie.com. Okay. And uh, t- tell us why it's called Unspoken. Yeah, because a lot of the uh, early African church history is not spoken. And even if you go to the seminary, sometimes they'll take church fathers that were African and have them white in a book. And so they'll whitewash (laughs) Athanasius, who is called the black dwarf. And you look up a picture and he's white and you're like, so then people go to seminary and it's like, oh, I studied Athanasius. I studied Clement. I studied uh, Origin, Tertullian. I didn't know these were African. <laughs> uh, and so it's just like you're studying, not even knowing that you're studying black history. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, even, you know, who ended up carrying Jesus's cross? That was a black man. Simon. Mm-hmm. Yep. He, I mean, he, the little, little things like that, that are, you know, I think so important. You know, I, I remember... Um, you know, the first Bible that I got, you know, it, when I was, I don't know, in second grade or something, it has all the pretty pictures, beautiful pictures of Jesus, beautiful pictures. Um, but I did go back a couple years ago when I was doing a sermon on the Ethiopian eunuch and, and looked up the picture and sure enough, the Ethiopian eunuch was white. And I'm like, he is Ethiopian. <laughs> it tells me in the Bible that he's Ethiopian. How in the world is he white? But that, you know, that, that's just what happens. And, and that's something that can be fixed. Uh, through through new teaching and through you know um, and and here here's a question that maybe some people that are listening maybe asking is like why is it why is it important um, Lisa why why is it important that we even talk about race in the Bible why is it important that you know we're, we're you know God loves everybody shouldn't we just you know love everybody like why is is it important that we focus specifically on you know uh, blacks in the Bible African culture in the Bible why why would you say that's important. Yeah, so um, one of the reasons we did this documentary is because we we do with the G3 Project at HBCU tour, Historically Black Colleges and Universities. We do forums called as Christianity White Man's Religion. Students will tell, we, we the first 30 minutes we don't talk, we do what we call talk back. We let students talk first. They come to the mic, tell us why they think Christianity is white man's religion. And almost every time it has to do with pictures of Jesus being white. Wow. <laughs> um, wow. White Jesus. I don't want to serve a white Jesus. I don't want to serve. I don't want to be a part of this oppressive religion. And these are people that grew up in church. So it's not people that are. These are church kids um, that have just walked away from the faith or just indifferent towards Christianity. Wow. And it really hit home to me when I was having a conversation with a, a guy. And he was a sophomore at FAMU, Florida Agriculture Mechanical University in Tallahassee, Florida. And he um I had worked with him in the mentoring program he was in when he was in high school. And he told his teacher, I want to talk to Lisa because I have some questions about my faith as a, as a, a, a college student. And he said, you know, I'm looking at all these pictures of Bible characters and I see Adam and Eve depicted as white. Does that mean that my skin color is 
I wouldn't be black if it wasn't for the fall. Wow. Wow. He was like, so, yeah. And I sat there like I had never thought about the impact of seeing Adam and Eve white, seeing all Bible characters white, seeing Jesus as white. If Jesus is the restoration of the fallenness of man (laughs) and you have before the fall was a white man. Yeah. When God redeems the world, it's a white man. You think that your skin is a product of a fallen world. Wow. And so I think things like that really hit home to see why this is important to talk about. Yes. Because after we give the history at almost every HBCU we went to, students come to us and say, now I see myself in this faith. You're doing such, such good work, Lisa. Thank you for, you know, hopping on here. I literally DM'd you this morning. I was like, please, can you hop on here? And <laughs> and you did. And so I would just, I tell everyone that's listening to this, like, go right now, unspoken movie, uh, sow a seed into, into what, what they're doing. You know, um, you know, go ahead and pay for this movie for like the rest of your family. Like start emailing links, let, let them all see it because this is a movie that is super important. And I really appreciate the work you're doing. Thank you, Carlos. Thank you for having me. Lisa, 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 y'all, how good was that? Were y'all ready for this? Come on. Nah, y'all weren't. Y'all weren't. Hey, this is what I need you to do. Go to unspokenmovie.com. That is unspokenmovie.com. Take your little mouse, scroll it over, unless you're on your phone, take your little thumb, and click on pricing. And then what I want you to do is I want you to choose your membership. Okay, I ain't getting I ain't getting a cut, a cut of this. This ain't sponsored. I want you to click on one of the one of them, either the curriculum, all access, or the documentary. The documentary is thirteen dollars. That is like a entire seminary course for thirteen dollars. It taught me so so much. And so, Lisa, I just want to say thank you again. This is Lisa Fields, the founder of Jude Three Project. You guys check out what she does alongside the movie. Go to Jude. Three, the number three project.org. Check her out. She is brilliant. What did I say? I told y'all this has been so good. Thank you. Y'all know what to do. Please share the podcast, rate the podcast, let your grandma know about the podcast, let your friends know about the podcast. And next week, show back up again. When you review the podcast, it is really helpful. When you share it, it's really helpful as well. I appreciate you guys. I love you guys. Hopefully this is good, right? I think it was, if it wasn't good for you, it was good for me. This is your host, Carlos Enrique with the end, Guzman Archibald Cabello saying, I will see you next week on episode 65. We are getting to retirement age now of the Human Hope Podcast. See you guys soon.